Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Charlie Matz, filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Tuesday, November 9th, 2021. You may have had this experience before. You're fast asleep in a dark room, completely comfortable and cozy in your own bed, and lost in a dream when all of a sudden, bam, the room is completely lit up and you're startled awake. At that moment, there's nothing you can do to avoid the light. You can't grab a piece of darkness and put it above your head to help you avoid the bright light and get back to sleep. No, it's very obvious in that moment that light overcomes darkness. Every dark place is overcome when even the smallest source of light is present. The darkness finds no victory over light. So in this hypothetical situation, let's say that you wanted to get back to sleep. Since you couldn't find darkness in your own now lit room, you need to go into another room that was completely dark to avoid any light source. So you go down the hallway and find another room where there are no lights to get some sleep. But let's say that your spouse was sleeping in that lit room with you. You couldn't be with your spouse in both rooms at the same time. And you couldn't be with her in the darkness if she wanted the light on. Being in darkness requires the absence of light. And today, the Apostle John is going to tell us that God is light. So, by our previous logic, if God is light, then we ourselves can't be in darkness and have fellowship with God at the same time. So, let's dive into 1 John. A general theme in this book is that we need to know the truth of Scripture and then be obedient to Scripture, living a life of love and victory over sin, or else we cannot call ourselves Christians, even though we're not perfect. We can live a life of joy and assurance of salvation, especially as we grow in love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. The first four verses of 1 John are very encouraging. John is saying to his audience that this Christ, who has existed for eternity, and we have been expecting, he came. He was a real man, and we touched him. Christ came and brought eternal life, giving us fellowship with the Father. And now John is bringing this good news to everyone so that they too may be saved and have fellowship with the church and with God. This is the gospel. And then John says why he is writing in verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The statement of our joy is probably meant to include his readers as well. And this is a good reminder for us today. There is no joy apart from the Lord. God is the source of all true joy. So what better news is there than the fact that we can have fellowship with God himself? So John sets the tone in this letter right away with the joy of the gospel. But then starting in verse 5, John gets into who God actually is, stating that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Then John says in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. John might be combating a common false belief in his time, very similar to what we hear nowadays, where people were saying that they can walk in darkness but have fellowship with God. He goes on in verse 7 to say, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. To walk in the light is really founded on two things, a life built on correct biblical doctrine, a life lived with a direction of holiness in our lives. Psalm 119.105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We can't be believing things contrary to scripture while we live our Christian life. And we can't be living contrary to the commands of scripture and the character of God. And when we live a life built on correct biblical doctrine, 
and we strive for holiness, we're first off going to have great fellowship with other believers, and second, we're going to experience sanctification. Yes, Jesus cleanses us at justification, making us right with God and reconciled with God, but then we're continually made more like him as we live for him. Now, John continues, and he says, starting in verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. To come before a holy God, we must admit that we fall short of his standard. That's step one to having a relationship with God, admitting that we have no business having a relationship with God. Let's stop for a moment and just worship God for how he has loved us. I mean, God is perfect. He is the source of all light while we were in darkness with no hope. Jesus came when we didn't really want him to. We didn't, we didn't want Jesus, but he lived a perfect life. Then he died the death we deserve to pay for our sins. And then he rose again, defeating death. And part of agreeing to the truth of the gospel is agreeing to the fact that we are sinners in need of God's unmerited redemption. We can have no part in God's kingdom unless we agree that our kingdom is spiritually bankrupt. So we must confess our sin before God to be saved, agreeing to his character and our condition. But we must also continually agree to this through confession on a daily basis. So perhaps today is a good day to ask, how is your time in confession going? Is confession part of your daily prayer routine? The Bible is clear that you and I are progressively sanctified or made holy or made more like Christ as we continue to live our lives and as we grow in maturity. We must daily recognize that our sanctification has nothing to do with our own righteousness, but the righteousness imputed to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. This daily mindset and method of confession will keep us humble and reliant on Christ. It helps us to not become like John's audience who thought that they could proclaim salvation in Christ without following his commands and living holy, set-apart lives for him. It will also remind us of the gospel, preparing us to share it with those that we come in contact with every day. Now let's move to another writing from the Apostle John, this time in the Gospels, John 8, 1 through 11. This section of scripture is not considered by some to be a part of the canon of scripture because some of the earliest manuscripts didn't include it. However, it is included here, and it is a part of John, but I think the best thing we can do with this section is to only glean what we can that is consistent with other scripture. The story is that of the Pharisees bringing a woman to Jesus to have her stoned for adultery, and Jesus writes something on the ground in front of the Pharisees that causes them to abort their original mission and walk away. We don't know what he wrote, and really we shouldn't speculate what he wrote since it doesn't tell us. But the important theme in this passage is related to our passage in 1 John. We all fall short of the glory of God. We must confess before God that we are sinners in need of his holiness. If we think we have not sinned, much like these Pharisees, then we are liars. This story reminds me of the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee. When the the tax collector is beating his chest, crying out for mercy to God, confessing that he is a sinner, while the Pharisee is thanking God that he's not like other men, including this tax collector. And I do want to point out a few things regarding this passage, though, in John 8. First, the hero of the story is not this woman. It's Jesus. It's always Jesus. Jesus is the presence of light, and we see two different responses here to the light. The Pharisees scamper away and crawl back into the darkness of their self-deception and works righteousness, not confessing their sin before God. And we don't know how the woman responds, but she is left with a choice. And that is 
my second observation. Jesus ends by saying, go and from now on sin no more. I've heard it said before that yes, Jesus meets every sinner where they're at, but he doesn't leave them there. God is calling us to repentance, to turn away from sin and to Christ. As our passage back in 1 John said, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Perhaps today is a good day to be reminded that it's not about the perfection of our life, but the direction. Yes, we cannot achieve perfection in this life, never to sin again, but we also can't be satisfied with the sin that we're living in. We must vigilantly kill sin in our life by the power of God. And I'd like to offer a few starting points to do this. First, learn and memorize scripture. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And second, pray for God to reveal the sin hiding in your heart. Psalm 139, 23, and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And when God shows us our sin and the destruction it has caused, we should be filled with sorrow. And we see this type of sorrow on display today as we finish up the book of Lamentations with the final three poems And there's much to learn here from chapters 3 through 5. Chapter 3 starts off hopeless, even saying, He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. How terrifying in light of the other two passages we've looked at to be driven and brought into darkness without any light. But then uh, the author here, he restores this hope. Right? And then calls others to restoration with God. I'm going to read Lamentations 3, 16 through 24, just to see this transition that happens. Starting in 16, it says, He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually, continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But then here it, here's where it shifts. It says this in verse 21, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This is an important reminder that our hope can only come from God himself. If your hope is contingent on circumstances, then you have no hope and never will. We must, be, we must build our hope on the foundation of Christ because all other ground is sinking sand, as scripture says. This lamentation is a good reminder that sometimes God puts us in circumstances where all we have is the hope of God and his promises, where all we can do is cry out, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. Now, in chapter 4, we read a gruesome retelling of the suffering of Jerusalem's children, how they've been scattered and starved. Starting in verse 4, we read, The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment and no hands were wrung for her. God's punishment on Jerusalem is worse than that of Sodom because Jerusalem was more accountable due to their in-depth revelation of God and his law, which begs the question, how responsible are we in this country and in this time period? 
I mean, we have the complete Bible with a written New Testament to read at any time we want. We have the Holy Spirit if we're a Christian, and we have been able to worship freely for a very long time as a church here. How much more have we been given to know the one and true living God? We too will give an account for our stewardship of what God has revealed to us. That's a good reminder for today to be a great steward of what God has given to us to reveal him and to know him in the word of God. Now we get to chapter five, the conclusion of this book uh, of lamentations here in the Bible. It's a powerful plea for God to restore his people to himself. This should serve as a good reminder for us that when we are in the midst of a trial for a season of difficulty or despair, our only plan of restoration is one that includes holy fellowship with God. The writer of Lamentations starts off this chapter chapter by recounting their hardships. Let's pick it up in verse 9. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. For these things... Our eyes have grown dim for Mount Zion, which lies desolate. Jackals prowl over it. But then it turns again here in verse 19. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. I'm so encouraged by verse 19 after recounting all the hardship we read, but you, O Lord, reign forever. No matter what hardships we endure in this life, you and I can always say, but you, O Lord, are you going through a trial right now in your life? Are you going through a time of difficulty or despair? You can cry out with confidence, but you, O Lord, are you living in sin, being crushed by the weight of it? You can repent and cry out with confidence, but you, O Lord. Where does your help come from, Christian? It comes from the Lord. In Psalm 121, our psalm reading today says that very thing. I will read this short psalm as a fitting end to today's passages. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. As Pastor Ben mentioned, it's thought that these psalms and this psalm exist to bring confidence to those who are making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And as they lift up their eyes to the hills, they're reminded that their help comes from the Lord. Those on such a trek might ask, how am I going to get through this journey? The answer, the psalmist says, is the Lord. He won't ever take his eyes off of you. He won't let you succumb to the dangers and elements of the day or night. And you and I are pilgrims, sojourners, traveling through this foreign place to arrive home with the Lord at some point. Along this journey, there will be dangers, but we can read this psalm and the totality of scripture to be reminded that the Lord will keep our going out and coming in forever. God is not 
only all-powerful, but he is all-present, never leaving your side. And that is why we can have assurance of our salvation and live a life consistent with scripture. Because we do so in his power and not our own. We walk confidently by the light of scripture, guiding us down the path of righteousness. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today in Revival from the Bible. Ben Blakey will be back tomorrow. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.